You're listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and deep calling to deep. Today's message is brought to you by Lead Pastor Kim Foreman. As a man carries his son in all the ways that you went until you came to this place, yet for all that you did not believe the Lord your God, who went in the way before you to search out a place for you, to pitch your tents, to show you the way, you should go in the fire by night and the cloud by day. God heard their words and their murmuring. 35 says, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land which I swore to give to your fathers. And then he goes on to verse 36. He says, except Caleb, the son of Jephaniah, he shall see it. And to him and his children, I am giving the land on which he walked because he wholly followed the Lord. And he goes on to say, but Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall go in there, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. So I want you to look at this with Joshua. Joshua and Caleb. There were 12 men and only two come back in faith and encouragement to do what God had told them. It says in Joshua 14, 7, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to spy out the land. So Joshua was 40 years old when this happened. Joshua means, the name Joshua means, God is deliverance. Joshua also means Yah saves. Joshua means Yahshua to save, to save alive, to rescue. Joshua means Yeshua. It's a type and a shadow of the coming Savior that came to save us from our sins. So Joshua is a type and a shadow. I cannot fathom the frustration that Joshua and Caleb must have felt. When they went into the promised land as a spy, yet despite what they saw, their God was bigger, uh, stronger than any of these giants. But their hearts and their, their, their eyes were full of the faith of the Lord to go in, we can take this. If God be for us, who can be against us? That was their heart. That was what they felt. Yet they were 40. They were young and even in their youthful zeal, there's a lot to be said about youthful zeal, has such a place in triumph and victory. And we see this even in young David, don't we, with the slingshot and the stones. I mean, you can't get much younger than that. Joshua and Caleb were in their 40s. David was a lot younger than that. But he slew that Goliath, didn't he? But here they stood against the majority who saw how big the giants were. So the majority was what? In fear. They were not in faith, and they were in really rebellion because God said, do it, and they got into fear. And it was two against ten. And can you imagine the way Joshua and Caleb felt? They must have been heartsick. I would think the wind had been knocked out of them in this situation. They must have questioned their own selves, thinking about the other spies, their age, their wisdom, what I said in Deuteronomy 1.15 says what? Moses chose what? Those that were knowledgeable men, wise men. So these two younger men are amongst these wise men. 
They must have reasoned perhaps they were wrong and those knowledgeable men were right. And in this place, God had chosen those leaders for a time much further in the future, 40 years before. But that one defining moment, they passed the test. Now begins the process. Surely, it was a dark night of the soul for both Caleb and Joshua. Feeling disillusioned, feeling defeated, even probably felt inept and even stupid. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, where you had the faith and you were among people and you said, you know, God said we could do, and they're like, ah. Oh. And then you got the naysayers, and before you know it, you think, why did I even open my mouth? So can you imagine what those two young men felt? Perhaps they thought, what were we thinking of? Why would we put everything at risk or everyone at risk? Uh, maybe they're the wise ones. Maybe we needed to err more on the side of caution instead of thinking we just go in and take it. Truth was, they were right. <coughs> Bottom line is they were right. Bottom line is at that moment, at that moment, God chose those two men saying, you're going to be the only ones to go in and possess that land. And those giants were nothing to their God. And those were God's people, and he could cover them with a cloud by night, and he could cover them with a fire by night. He could part the Red Sea for God's sake. They'd seen all this. And in the midst of fear, what happened? Faith got robbed. Fear is an antagonist to faith. When you are fighting fear, always look at what God's calling you to do in that moment because I guarantee you there is your faith is trying to be robbed. This is why it's so important not to cast your pearls among swine, not to be so eager to share with just anyone great things that God has spoken to you personally or what he plans to do or the dream he has given you, and yet even to your own family, you must be careful. I mean, we have the story of Joseph. I mean, what was he? He was sold into slavery by his own brothers because what he shared a dream that he eventually would be over his brothers. And they sold him. So you have to be careful when God gives you revelation and God gives you understanding and deep places of who you share these things. That's what that scripture means. Be careful not to cast your pearls among swine. When God gives you revelation and hidden things, those things are to be shared only with those that you know will rejoice and prayerfully uh, pray for you and stand with you in faith. So when we're full of faith... And we share those great things with people full of fear. Maybe they have an analytical mind. Maybe they're full of caution. Maybe they've had trauma. Maybe they have lots of opinions. We can have the breath knocked out of us if you haven't experienced it. I think most of us have. Uh, we can be on the mountaintop with our God and then in the pit of hell and pain and disillusionment and broken because why? We cast our pearls among swine. To think that what happened with Joshua caused the time defilement. You've heard me teach it and teach it and teach it. That one defining moment in Israel's history has given Satan legal ground over their timeline for all these hundreds and if not thousands of years since that one defining moment that 10 out of the 12 decided that those giants were too big. And now Israel, if you look at July and August, they've had the most atrocities, the most trauma, the most places where they've been put in bondage is that time frame. Because why? They gave Satan their time because they decided to go into unbelief and fear instead of going into faith. 
And so it's cost them year after year after year. Let, yet God being all-knowing, this is the thing we always have to go back to. God is in all things, that Hebrew mindset. God being all-knowing knew what would happen before it even happened. And so the 40 years wandering in the desert was Joshua's preparation. Ouch. This was a sandpaper to produce the character to lead his people and then take the very land that he believed for 40 years earlier. He was older, he was wiser, and he was ready to step in. Again, what happened to him in those 40 years? We can look at all that Moses had modeled. We can look at before him the ups, the downs, the successes, the failures. We can look at the correction. We can look at the deaths. I mean, he saw lots of deaths. He saw a lot of delegation of authority. Joshua was there in the waiting, watching, probably not really knowing until the Kairos moment in time that he was going to be Moses' successor. As far as he was concerned, Moses was going into the promised land. That was the promise to Moses. But that Kairos moment, what is a Kairos? A Kairos moment is the right, critical, opportune time. It's like God opens a window, and in that moment, heaven meets earth, and you need to step in and go forward. Until Moses struck the rock twice, again, it was the promise to Moses to go into the promised land, to enter into that land. So Joshua spent many of those 40 years serving, but probably not knowing he was going to be Moses' successor. Don't you know when finally he had that landmark experience and realized he was chosen to bring the people in and conquer and that Moses was going to glory? Don't you know that was bittersweet? Don't you know he didn't want Moses to die nor Aaron and then they died? He didn't have a clue that was going to happen. and But it did happen. And so when he realized that his birthright Surely in that Kairos moment, everything made sense. All the pieces of the puzzle came together at that one moment. I'm sure that he found joy in finally understanding. Don't you know there was some confusion? I don't know about y'all, but I've had some confusion. Not understand Where am I going? Why is this happening? But on the other side of it, when God brings the understanding, there's such joy when all the pieces come together. And to think that he was right in the very first place. All those years watching, serving, being perplexed, saddened, weary, angry. But continuing, he continued to put one foot in front of the other till finally it made sense. It was all for this one plan and purpose that came into view. He was appointed to be the one to conquer and to take up residence in the promised land. That was his birthright. All of us have a birthright. What is a birthright? A birthright is the plan and the purpose of why God created you. We all wander around. You ever be a teenager and not know what was I created for? Who am I going to be? I'm going to tell you, even as a Christian, we were created with a plan and a purpose and something to accomplish. It's called a birthright. And we need to all call out to God, what is my birthright, God? What did you create me to do? I know mine was to cleanse my family line. If I don't do anything else, I'm to root up and pull down that which has afflicted my family for generations. And I'm supposed to bring my next generation and the next generation where they have a clean slate to start over through the, making much of the blood of Jesus. That's right. 
No, I can say that one thing I'm called to do. But you know what? That one thing I'm called to do, all of you are called to do. We better make much of the blood of Jesus. We better know how to apply it, how to root it up, and how to pull down every demonic iniquity and things that have troubled our families for generations. That's all of our birthrights. But there is a specific purpose and a plan for each of our lives. And Joshua, all that time, was being prepared to go into the land of Canaan. Those very giants that he thought 40 years earlier he could conquer, God said, okay, now you're ready. Now you're ready. And you know, y'all hear me say it, that you know, our gifting can take us to places our character can't keep us. And so sometimes we need 40, day, 40 years in the wilderness so that our character's produced. So by the time God puts us in that high position, Satan can't sift us. But if that character ain't worked in us, we're going to be pulled down and we're going to be sifted. So, I just keep thinking about all the confusion in that one moment has come together. So it begins with the Jordan. When the banks are overflowing, God confirms his leadership, his stamp of approval. So what have you been prepared for? That's my question. What, are, what have you been prepared for? Have you had that Kairos moment? When you knew everything you've been through was for this one thing, that something that is greater than you, it can only be through God and by his hand. I can remember hearing an elderly pastor over Victory Temple in Beaumont. He had just built a Bible school in Russia, and he was a very successful pastor and uh, had done many great exploits in his life. But I remember, and he was one of my contact lens patients when I was in ophthalmology, and I remember him telling me, he said, my entire life comes to this one moment and this one thing I've done is to build that Bible school in Russia. Everything else was in preparation for this one thing. And I remember how it impacted me and how it touched my heart. And so I've gone back and I don't know. I, so I, I tell you, what have you done? What have you done in your life? I remember uh, coming into the Lord, and I was in ophthalmology for years, and the Lord said, well, you've, you've helped people see, but now you're going to help people see in the Spirit. You're going to be able to bring people to a place where they can see spiritually as well as in the natural. So not, there's nothing that we've done that God doesn't use for His glory. Nothing. So, faithfulness gets you to that place, staying the course like Joshua. No matter the season, no matter the pitfalls, no matter the highs, the lows, staying faithful to the faithful father. That's the whole key of getting to your Jordan. And I'm not, I'm not saying that I haven't been all sometimes laying on my face, not understanding and throwing fits with God or why I didn't think it was going to look like this. I've had a lot of preconceived ideas. And they were preconceived ideas. They weren't God ideas. They were Kim ideas. And many things I've had to lay at the altar in tears and say, not my will but thine, O oh God. And I know you all have too. But so many lose the faith. So many lose the faith. So many end up with a bad attitude because they had preconceived ideas. And God didn't operate the way they wanted him to operate. And God did not do what they wanted in their time frame either. And they bail. Never making it to their Jordan. They stay stuck in the wilderness. There are many people that are stuck in the wilderness. And what do they do? Havilah. Around and around and around the mountain they go. And they don't know how to come out. Like the Red Sea with Moses. God does Jordan with Joshua. Jordan means down under to descend to be brought low. What do we know about being brought low? It's when we're humbled God, God moves. 
Because why he resists the proud. But it's when our place of brokenness, it's in our place of humility that God shows up and shows off. And that's when God will give us revelation and understanding. Because why? We've been brought low. We've been humbled. So the Jordan means being brought low. The Jordan represents also freedom from oppression, breakthrough and deliverance. When they crossed the Jordan, another thing that happened was the miracle of the water did not touch the Ark of the Covenant. That's awesome. That's a miracle. Did not touch the Ark of the Covenant. So look at the River Jordan. John the Baptist did what? He baptized what? New believers. And even Jesus himself, as was an inauguration into his ministry, happened in the baptismal of the Jordan. It refers to a freedom that comes after a long season of adversity and waiting. A two-week flight. This is wrap your head around this. A two-week journey turned into 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. That's baffling. Can you imagine being stuck with your family on a vacation that went bad for 40 years? I want you to think about it. He was stuck for 40 years with family in the wilderness. That's hard. What was the wilderness? It was heat, hunger, exhaustion. But both Joshua and Caleb, men of great faith, were not exempt from the struggles. Did they not have to go through it? Because the majority won. They had to endure. But though my sorrow lasts for the night, try 40 years that your joy will come in the morning. That's a long time. Most of us are like, why haven't you done it, God? You said you were going to do it. It's been a year. You haven't shown up. Hello, look at our patriarchs that God gives us to look back and go, mm. Don't you think Joshua had seen confusion too? But don't you think great joy did come and revelation and him being chose to be the one and the only military leader to lead them in? Have you ever experienced a wilderness in your life? A place in your life that you felt stuck and you didn't know how to get out of it? Uh, that no matter what you do or how many times you recalculate your route, it brings you right back around where you started. Any of y'all ever felt that? Yeah. Many blame the devil. Most everybody blames the devil, right? When it's actually your fault. It could be your heart. It could be your attitude. Or perhaps your experience and lack of fulfillment in your relationship, your career, your destiny, your purpose, your life. Maybe you're just stuck and you're doing the same thing, the same mundane thing, day after day after day. Let me tell you about self-deception. That's the thing with self-deception. Self-deception, you don't know you're deceived. And until you get humble and you finally say, okay, I done done something. I don't know what it is. And pride will keep you from hearing you think you're right, I did that right, I'm going to tell you, you will keep going around in that wilderness to finally you're so broken, you're like, I don't know what I did, but whatever it is, please show me, God. I, and put your heart on that altar, then he'll show up and show off. Because again, he resists the proud. You know, it gives hope to us older ones because I want you to look at Joshua. Joshua was 80 years old when he became the military leader to take the land of Canaan. So some of us who are 65, 70, 80, our time's not up. And then I want you to look at this. He was born in Egypt. He was delivered from Egypt. At 40, he was called to be a spy in the land. He spent 40 years in the wilderness. And then 
So 80, he gets to go into the promised land and take it. He's finished five years later. He takes the land of Canaan in five years as a military giant. And then he dies at 110. So he actually got 15 years of living in the, in the land of milk and honey before God took him home to glory. Now, I want you to really think about that. So we're talking the majority of his life, 85 out of 110 years, was what? War? Any of you been born to war? Feel like you lived in war? Feel like war is always at the gate, at the door? Uh, hello? There's nothing new under the sun. We are born to war. We're either serving God or we're serving the devil. We're either a soldier for the cross or we're a soldier for hell. We're going to be in a war. This is our place to war things through, to end up in eternity blessed and prosperous and in glory or end up in hell burning for eternity. There's no choice here. So how do we break the wilderness? <laughs> Perhaps you've gone down to those uh, paths of bitterness, hopelessness, and defeat. Numbers 20 verse 5 says, It can become commonplace to accept this state as status quo. And we groan to God, just like the Israelites, why have you made me to come up from Egypt to bring us to this wretched place? How do we break the wilderness cycle and get to the place of crossing over? That's a good question, isn't it? If we're really honest with ourselves, many times again, we co-author our own predicaments and we're not just mere participants at the hand of the enemy. We've created our own circumstances. It can be a matter of heart, and it almost always is a matter of the heart. You know, Joshua had to deal with his heart. Don't you know a lot in 40 years? Don't you know he was ever before the Lord dealing with his heart? And I'm sure he was angry and bitter and wrestled, but what? He stayed faithful to his God. Life is unpredictable. And Jesus himself tells us that in this life, what? We will have troubles. In John 16, it says, we must check our hearts, and it's all a matter of our hearts. So if you're in a wilderness and you need to cross over into the Jordan, which does means what? Humility, and it means deliverance out of your situation. And if you're in a place that you're stuck, then it's time to come to that altar. It's, it's time to say, Lord, if I'm deceived, show me my deception. Please, Lord, don't let me be deceived. What do I need to give up? What heart attitude is wrong that doesn't line up with your word and that you're a righteous God, you're a holy God? What do I need to deal with, God, so that I can cross over into the next phase of the promised land of what you have for me? So, check your heart. Remind that our hearts, again, what? Are deceitful. The Lord says we don't even know our hearts. Unless we put our hearts before the Lord, we can be deceived by our hearts thinking, well, we're right. And there again, y'all, I, I love that. said, do you want to be right or do you want to be reconciled? I've had to do some hard things, hard things, because I want to be in right relationship with God. And again, he stood on the cross and said, you know, forgive them. They know not what they do. So it doesn't matter in relationships who's wrong and right. Who are you going to be? Are you going to be Jesus? Are you going to go repair that relationship? And even, even ask you to repair it seven, eight times. And you continually go back and try to fix it and try to be Christ in that situation. Then you do it. Because what do you want to be, right? You want to be reconciled. You want to do it God's way? Because I'm going to tell you, it blocks your blessings. That's right. 
The lack of spiritual discipline is another thing. A lot of times people lack spiritual discipline. You know, they're too busy turning on Netflix, being on their phone. Where's your prayer life? You know, are you a worshiper? Are you in worship? Are you in prayer? Are you in the Word of God? I don't care if it's a little devotional in the bathroom, in the bathtub. Spend some time in the Word of God. Spend some time talking to the Lord in your drive to work. Those spiritual disciplines, if you have no spiritual discipline, I've taught this over and over, then your spirit is like an Ethiopian and your soul is big and fat and your spirit don't have a chance. And the spirit is where God speaks to you. The spirit's where God gives us dreams. Spirit is where God speaks to us and gives us instructions for our day. But if you're lacking spiritual discipline, then you're stuck in the wilderness because you are not putting God first. And what is that idolatry? You're turning on that TV instead of picking up that word. If you are uh, got your secular music going and jamming instead of putting on worship and giving God His glory. Let me tell you something. That's idolatry. Get your house in order. Get things. If you want to cross over and come out of the wilderness and quit, keep going in a pattern of a circle and a circle and a circle, then start doing the things that can get you out of that place. And bring you into the crossing over. Bring you into the, the promised land. Bring you into your gifting and your calling. Because it don't matter. If you don't come into your birthright. Into what you were called. You will have that empty vacuum. And you will fill it with the things of the world. You'll fill it with sin. And you know what? You're going to wake up feeling as empty as you did before you filled it with the junk of the world. Right. Because you've got to fulfill your birthright. That's what you were created for. Like what we said. We were created to worship God. Yes. Aside from worshiping God... We are, that's what we were created for. Amen. To worship Him. Amen. And to serve Him. And we have a plan, a purpose. I get no greater joy than doing His work. Yes. When I can sit there and minister to somebody and I can give them a purpose or a plan or I can give them maybe understanding and a problem yes. that they can't solve. I get so much joy. That's what I was created for. There is nothing. There's no high that I ever had. There's nothing I ever had that compared to when I serve God with my whole heart and I'm moving in my plan and my purpose and I'm fulfilling His will. That's my birthright. That's what I know as I know what I was created for. I'll have joy. I'll feel like bold. I'll be full of faith. It's awesome. And so I encourage you, if you're stuck in the world, if you keep going around in a circle... Come out of that wilderness. Put those old things away. Those old things you do. Begin to put Him first. Put those spiritual disciplines. We're in a time we better not play. We're in a time. And just like what we've said, you know, He's visiting. He's not visiting in the house. He's visiting in the universities. He's visiting young people. And I don't want to be a church that, is, is, that doesn't undergird the Joshua and the Caleb's that are coming up. we got Joshua's and Caleb's that are coming up. I don't want to be like the Israelites and be like those ten that said, Oh, it's too big. Oh, I better tell you, you better not do that. I want to encourage them. I want to undergird them. I want to prayerfully support them. Don't let me be the naysayer to kill this Joshua and this Caleb from their dreams. Let us not wander another 40 years in the wilderness. Let's go in and take the land. And yes, God's moving outside these doors. God has always moved outside these doors because the church has put him outside the doors. We put rules, we put regulations, and he don't move that way. He is in freedom. Invite him in. Let him be everything to all people. And that's why he's moving. He's moving in the universities. He's moving to this generation that we've abandoned. He's showing up. And then when we think about Joshua, when we think about Caleb, Caleb's daughter, 
He had one daughter, and she was a daughter of faith. She was given land, and she was so bold because women didn't do what she did, but she was so full of her father and full of faith. And Caleb means dog. And so her husband wouldn't go to her daddy because when you hear that name was dog and he was Joshua's military leader, you know Caleb had to be tough. But that daddy's daughter went to her daddy and said, Daddy, I want wells of water. I want wells in the north and wells in the... You know he gave her over an abundance of what she asked because why? Bold and in faith. And our God is pleased when we move in faith. God is pleased when we're specific and we ask him for the impossible because he's the God of what? Impossibilities. And when we move in that kind of faith, it moves our God. And so we've got Caleb's daughters who are believing for these wellsprings that they're asking their God for. So I want to be able to undergird those Joshua's and those Caleb's. And I want to be the one to undergird as a church those daughters that believe for the great things, for that bubbling up, for those wells that are going to bubble up. And that's who we must be in this hour and this season. Amen. So I'm challenging you as I close out and pray. It's time to cross over. God gave me this message. As we come into our new building, we are crossing over. And so, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what it's going to be, but I don't want church as usual. You know, I want to do things that God says for us to do. I want to hear and I want to move. And if we'll do it that way, we will go into the land of plenty. And what is that land of plenty? That's the harvest. That's those people out there that need what we have. And those are those people that need our prayer and our covering so that they can go out into the highways and the byways and they can fight fight the giants that are in their past and they can overcome the giants in their future. And that's what we're to do. We're to equip, we're to pray, and we're to train for this next generation and what God is doing in the earth today. So I'm saying if you lack spiritual discipline, if you're stuck in the wilderness, come come out. Come out and cross over. But that means... Go down. Descend in that place of humility. Lay that pride aside and lay yourself and say, God, I don't know why I keep going in the same, same circle, but I want to come up and I want to come out. And God, I want to put you first. I want you to be the king of my heart, the king of my life, and I don't want any idol that stands before you, God. And that's what we must do in this hour and this season. So I'm telling you, it's time to cross over restoration. So Father, I thank you, God. I thank you, God, for this message. And Father, I thank you, Lord, that we're ready to cross over. And Father, if there be any places in our lives that you're calling us to submit at the altar, let it be submitted today. Let, Father, everything that's taken place over you. And Father, any place we've been on Laodicea, any place, God, that instead of having spiritual discipline and being in worship and in your word and in prayer, that, God, we put other things before you. God, let today bring our house into order. Bring our spiritual house into order, God. Let you be the first thing when we wake up. And, Father, let us be about you all day long, God. Let us not miss the opportunity, uh, Father, to, to be a light in this dark world. Let us not miss the opportunity, Father, to hear your voice, God, because we're distracted. But, Lord, let us keep our eyes upon you, God. And so, God, we're asking, Lord... Let this be a house of humility. Let this be a place of honor. Let this be a place, God, that, Father, we allow you to be outside the box. That, God, we don't try to box you in with religion. But, God, we let you be who you are. And we celebrate who you are. And, God, that we hear and we move according 
to your will and your design, God. And Father, I pray over us as a church. Let us all obtain our birthright. Yes. Let us all come into our plan and our purpose and what you've called us for. And give us understanding where, Lord, we've had confusion, yes. where we've not understood. Holy Spirit, as we come to that place of the Jordan, make sense of the nonsense. Give us the big picture of what we were called to do and who we were created to be in you, oh God. And Lord, we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. If you would like to watch our message live or looking for more information about our church, visit us. Follow us on Facebook, Restoration Church.